from basically being banned to being some of the most popular players in the NFL, the black quarterback has gone through a lot. But are they respected? Are they treated fairly in the NFL? Welcome to Warming the Bench. So the undefeated boldly claimed in September that 2019 would be the year of the black quarterback. And so far, they haven't been wrong. Five of the top 10 quarterbacks in terms of QBR are black as of today. And a black quarterback leads the NFL in yards, passing touchdowns, QBR, and yards per game. Uh, According to one popular betting site as of December 10th, two of the top four players who are favored to win the NFL MVP are black quarterbacks. So black quarterbacks, they've been through a lot, uh, much like black men in America in general. Uh, Racism, prejudice, stereotyping. But it looks like they're finally getting the respect they deserve. Coming in today uh, is a staff writer for The Ringer, North Philadelphia born and raised. His work has been included in the Best American Sports Writing Anthology series. Uh, Please welcome in Tyler Tynes. How you doing, Tyler? I mean, you know the vibes. (laughs) <laughs> you know the whoopty, you know the vibe. So, so Tyler and I are actually uh, pretty, pretty decent friends. I, I would say. I don't know if Tyler would say the same thing, but I mean, listen, you know what's going on. <laughs> so, Tyler, um, we're talking about black quarterbacks today. Uh, in our tilt poll, uh, obviously the tilt does polls. Uh, I asked the question: Are black quarterbacks treated fairly by the NFL? And as of today, seventy point three percent of our audience thinks that they are. That's cute. What, what do you think about that? What, what is your what is your initial feeling on where black quarterbacks stand in the NFL as of today? I mean, I think this is a, a multifaceted conversation that has been happening for the entirety of this year. But I think it would be kind of false to believe, uh, sort of as the undefeated kind of positive, this is the year of the black quarterback, primarily because we've had this conversation before. Right, 1987 was the year of the black quarterback because Doug Williams won the Super Bowl. Right, uh, 2014 was the year of the black quarterback because Cam Newton was lighting it up, and so was Russell Wilson. He, you know, and he won a Super Bowl. Right, 2015 was the year of the black quarterback because Cam Newton be- uh, became one of the greatest quarterbacks on record for one season. And even 2001, man, it's like you got McNabb, you got like 35. McNabb, McNair. Yeah, you got, yeah, you got about 35 <laughs> percent of uh, all quarterbacks who passed over 100 attempts were black quarterbacks, and right. that was supposed to be the year of the black quarterback. Right, you know, and at some time in this decade, there were nine starting black quarterbacks around the NFL, and so, you know, it, it, it is very, um, it's very genuine in the idea that we can embrace and celebrate the fact that blackness is so prevalent at the top of the elite parts of our system of the NFL. The difference, though, becomes that it is a little bit audacious and slightly presumptuous to believe that this is the first coming, or at least the benchmark of where excellence is going to go. Um, the, the leading MVP candidate is Lamar Jackson, uh, electric, marvelous Jackson. Um, and Lamar Jackson was asked by scouts, specifically by the Chargers, which he named in a podcast on Ravens.com, to be a wide receiver. And so of many of the different systemic things that make America and its genesis one told out of racism, we have to understand that that is not changed or washed anew because blackness has found a way to be elite. Right, because just like whiteness has, has found a way to be elite, blackness has always been that way. It's just been segregated into a point ghettoized and away from the game where we're supposed to believe it is different. And that's never been true. Of the 67 quarterbacks that have thrown a pass this year, 14% or uh, 14 of them have been black. That's about 20, 21% of them. Yeah. Uh, in 1971, 3% of black quarterbacks who threw over 100 passes were black. And as of 2019, 25.6%. That's a, that's up to today. Uh, we have some, we have some like really great players out there, man. And I'm telling you, like, what's so, 
you talked about Lamar Jackson, leading MVP candidate mm-hmm. right now. Uh, what, what, like, you, you kind of alluded to the, the sort of things that he kind of had to deal with coming out. Like, what sort, of, what sort of issues does he share with many other black quarterbacks in terms of stereotyping and, like, the, the way that um, black quarterbacks are perceived in the NFL? It has to do greatly with conscious and unconscious bias and the way in which um, specifically whiteness has allowed us to believe how blackness should operate, right? And with that, I think we have to understand that it comes mainly through conscious stereotyping. And so because of that, you have people like Lamar Jackson who's told he should be a wide receiver. You have the perception of what black quarterbacks should be. So you have Jerry Richardson at the turn of the decade telling Cam Newton, who was the first overall pick, they didn't want his hair to be that long. They didn't want, to, didn't want him to have tattoos. And so these are the same things over and over and over again, right? From Fritz Pollard to James Harris to now. These things aren't going away because we haven't actually dismantled or upended the way in which, the mechanism in which we talk about racism and and, and how we feel about race and the social construct that it is, right? And so if James Harris was washing the cleats and the uniforms and the locker rooms of his Buffalo Bills teammates in 1969 and Lamar Jackson is still being told that he shouldn't have been a quarterback a year ago, we have not made as much incremental progress as we are positing. And so, again, it is great that 21% of throwers this year have been black. It would be great if 50% of throwers next year would be black. It would be great if Justin Fields, when he goes to the University of Georgia, doesn't have to leave because he is being called racist names and now he has to go to Ohio State, right? It would be great if Jalen Hurts wasn't thought of as a tight end in the, in the upcoming draft when men like Josh Allen can play in Buffalo. And so – it would be also be great if Colin Kaepernick had a job. And so we, we can't go but so far in understanding and breaking apart how the black quarterback is operating this year without fully knowing the idea behind the fact that if all of them are not allowed, the bare basics of the same excellence we give to white men, their white counterparts, then we still haven't done enough. Yeah, like, and you talk about that. Like we, we, I feel like this year, more than any other year, I mean, we have... I think I, I looked at it last. I think five of the top ten uh, QBRs are black quarterbacks, right? Um, you don't you don't think this excellence is a, a harbinger of you know that same trend? You don't you don't think that trend's going to build upon this year? Like you don't think that um, people like owners are going to look at this and be like, you know what, maybe a fair shot is kind of in line, or like do you, like do you think that this is just kind of a, a flash in the pan, like it has been in the past? I, th- I think there's a difference between optimism and skepticism and the realism that exists in between those two poles. I think I am hopeful that black people get the share of the wealth and gains economically and socially that we have deserved since, you know, the making of the nation, right? I am skeptical to believe if that's actually going to happen. Um, and I and I think the realism in between it says, you know, between different historians, between how do you think about racial theory, between just the general accounting for where black quarterbacks have been up until this point, it would suggest otherwise. And so again, I'm hopeful something changes. The five best quarterback wow, the five best quarterbacks in the NFL right now are black people. And so that that's great. I need the ten best to be that. I need the fifteen best to be that. And then we're looking at equity. And until equity is attainable, we have not done enough. And just one example, right? One good black player is not enough for a gaggle of black players to be good. Because here's the thing. I don't just want black excellence. I don't just want Lamar Jackson to be the best quarterback in the land. I need me some Charlie Batches too, right? Like I need me guys who are allowed to be horrible 
and they're not kicked out of the league just because of it, right? I need me to have a Gardner Minshew who's black. I need me to have, at this age, a Ben Roethlisberger or a Tom Brady who both suck right now who are black, right? I need every single part of that of that timeline, of that spectrum, because until we're allowed to be unordinary, we shouldn't be allowed to be excellent. Incre- yeah, incredible. You're like, so like the... Like, I always look at it this way. It's like equality is not attained until mediocrity is acceptable. That's exactly right. And it's like and – like, and that's the kind of way I look at the NFL right now. It's just like we have, we have players like Nathan Peterman that are still able Peter to – Peterman. Yeah, we got Peterman that out, that's out there. We got like Driscoll's out there. We got we – Doug Hodges. Doug, Doug Hodges. Like he's starting games. That boy, Doug Hodges, man. Come on. <laughs> like there – but there's no – like there – like I, at least I've seen, there is no room for a black Doug Hodges. Right in the league because they're usually given the the poll right right before they can even like prove themselves. I mean, again, th- again, think about it. How many black quarterbacks exist at the college level? How many black quarterbacks exist a generation removed at the grassroots level? Right, and so again, you have to be excellent. You have to be, as any party put it, kind of in the fifties. You have to be a super spade, right? You have the, the, the old adage that we kind of give to our kids growing up that you have to be twice or thrice or four times as good to even be accepted at the average of where whiteness begins, and so. That shouldn't be normal because that's not normal, right? My kid should be able to be trash at football. My kid, if he's good enough, should be able to go to college and be trash at football there. And if he's trash at football, just like Josh Allen was trash at football in college, he should be allowed to have a job just like Josh Allen does. If my kid can throw 55% in the goddamn Mountain West and he can be a first-round draft pick just like Josh Allen, I am ecstatic. And I'm not going to lie to him. I'm going to look him right in the face and be like, hey, man, you trash. But I'm happy you got paid. <laughs> That's where we have to get to, right? We have to get to the point where, I mean, J- Jacoby Brissett, right? Jacoby Brissett is a, is a fine quarterback. Um, he's not great. He was great at the beginning of this year, but he's not great. He's good. And that's okay. I don't need him to be great, right? Because look across the league. Lamar Jackson is great. Deshaun Watson is great. Patrick Mahomes is great. Um, you know, Russell Wilson is great. Dak Prescott is pretty good. Yeah. And so – I don't need him to also be as great as the other guys. I just need him to be good. I need you to earn your keep. And that's it. There can't be white guys out here playing at the quarterback position who don't earn their keep and can keep their jobs. That's that's a shame. Yeah, qu- quite quite the shame. Let's run through the history a little bit here. Um, back in the day, the NFL, known as the American Professional Football Association, had nine black pay- players. Mm. Um, 1920. That included uh, Frederick Douglass Pollard, who you referenced earlier. That boy Fritz. Yeah, the first quarterback that would be the NFL. In 1921. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then by 1926, all five of the all five of the black uh, players in the NFL had left. As historians would write, it a gentleman's agreement was yeah. kind of taken apart, where many play many owners, and again, correct me if I'm wrong. I think Washington, I think Dallas was involved, where so many different owners were like, "We don't want this anymore." The yeah. fight song for Washington's football team was based out of the idea of exclusion. And so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that, and that was in uh that that was it. That well, you mean so after 1926, mm. like black players kind of sporadically played in the NFL. But it was you're right. You're referencing the agree, like the gentleman's agreement in 1934 after two black players the two black players left in the NFL left. Right. Uh where it was George Preston Marshall the owner of the Boston Braves and the Washington Reds, uh, the, the the team from Washington. I'm not going to say the full name. I mean, listen, you know team, what it is. You that know team, the that team, yeah, that team from Washington. They suck, too. Man. Yeah. <laughs> they, they just trash. Oh, boy. But quarterbacked by a black quarterback. Yeah, man, that boy Dwayne Haskins. Listen, <laughs> come on. <laughs> so he openly refused 
to have a black quarterback. Like right. it, it was, it was like like things back in the day. They just they weren't even subtle about it. They was like, I don't want any black players on my team. Right. And so for the next twelve years, twelve thirteen years up until ni- like uh, nineteen forty six, didn't have a black player in the NFL. That's like, right. They and they it was it was like a institutional informal ban. To have gone from that to here. I feel like black quarterbacks are getting they're getting their their due. They're getting like a lot of like a lot of people would point out they're getting a lot of achievements, like they're getting some recognition. Is that truly respect in your eyes? No. I mean how how much Cam Newton has lost years off of his career because he can't even get it he can't even get uh, you know, roughing the passer calls. Right? He's been concussed how many times? He's been banged up how many times? Because we don't even respect him on the field, right? Again, we go back to conscious and unconscious bias. If you cannot believe inherently that the person who is playing quarterback is supposed to be there, well, the trickle-down effect of that becomes you don't pay him the same, or you don't give him the same respect, or you don't get the same flags, or you don't – and on and on and on and on and on to every single facet of football. And so Omar Jackson, we're seeing it this year. Being hit, he's, being, he's been hit more than any quarterback in the NFL. Some of that is partial running. Some of that is because they want to get this guy off the field. But if he's not getting the calls, you know, respect is subjective. And for me, I don't believe it's there yet. We are scraping the surface of where respect should be for the black quarterback. And again, it, it took, I mean, we're barely beyond it. It's still part of our very current history where we desegregated the quarterback position in everything up the middle of the field, the center position, uh, free safeties, linebackers. We're just now getting to the point where white middle linebackers are not the norm in the NFL, just like white quarterbacks are not the norm in the NFL. But again, look around. How many black quarterbacks do we have this year starting in the NFL? We had how many who threw a pass this year? You said 67? Uh, out of 67. Out of 67. Yeah, 14. Of 67, yeah. 14 black people threw a pass this year. Yeah. Not even considering if they're the starters. 14 have thrown a pass this year. Get, those are just a uh, quarterback designated. Right. Yeah, des- designated players. That ain't enough. That's nowhere near enough. And that's the problem. The problem isn't just celebrate us when we're great. The problem is celebrate us all the time. When that happens, we can start talking about what's next. And you, 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 t- you kind of alluded to this. Uh, it, you talked about respect on the field. Yeah. Like still not getting respect on the field. Off the field even. What what kind of what kind of arena is that like for the black quarterbacks? Uh, I mean, again, Colin Kaepernick doesn't have a job, and so if the most prominent black quarterback outside of athletics of the decade, of possibly an, an entire multi generations of where football has been, right? If that man can't even play the sport, and prior to him doing any protest, he was he was berated, his tattoos, the way he wore his hats, the way he talked, nothing about him was good enough. And he was just a pretty good quarterback, right? Super Bowl caliber quarterback, Pro Bowl level quarterback. He wasn't even respected before he protested. And now that he has, he can't get a job. And so if respect isn't even coming off the field, we can't expect it to also come on the field. Is that limited to just black quarterbacks? Because I feel like the league just in general just doesn't like social issues being, you know, out there. But we we think about the people who are actually participating in those things, right? And, And there's a difference between radical protest and just perceived protest right and so when chris long did perceived protest with malcolm jenkins chris long didn't get the same static as players who got death threats for taking a knee who were mostly faceless during the during the day of reckoning uh, in 2017 after donald trump said what he said about black players and over 200 players you know did some sort of protest um alex smith who also protested that day because of donald trump's presidency 
he has not gotten any attacks. I asked him personally last year. Um, that's the difference, right? Is that, yes, the league definitely does not want to be socially conscious. The league definitely does not want to make an effort unless it is commoditized for their own purposes. But when white athletes actually do partake in these, in these same rituals, especially in football, it doesn't go down the same way. Definitely not. Uh, it, it's kind of it's it's kind of disheartening, you know, like to to watch that happen live, because it's hard not to notice that, right? Right. And so, to see to see it happen, like, what's your what's your outlook for the future? Then, like, with all this happening right now, it's like, do, do you see a bright future? Do you, I mean, obviously, you said you're hopeful and you're optimistic. In your opinion, in your expert opinion, where do you think is goes? Opinion. Wow. Yeah, in your expert because wow. this is this is your beat, man. Like. Wow. Where do you go from? Where do, where does it go from here? Like, where do you see it going? I think um, I, I think the way I feel is is probably going to be different than maybe how you know anyone who is looking at the space might feel. But I've looked at the space and worked on the space and talked to athletes, whether protesting or not protesting, for the last four or five years. And, and the way that I feel about it generally is that I've always sort of held the idea, and this you know is is a part of what when the essay that went to the best American sports writing that there is no reason for black people to actually be helpful. Um, in the ways we've written the laws in this country and the way that we have exercised um, just those rights, basic human rights, um, they've never been afforded to black people by and large. And so – and especially black people by and large. And so there's really no reason from the inception of what America looks like to the current of what America looks like that black people should be hopeful. That doesn't mean they should quit, right? Uh, blackness is the most indefatigable substance in this world. It is living vibranium. And so uh, there's no idea of for why we should quit, right? But we are the sound, we are the heartbeat, we are the culture, we are the feet stomping on the ground that have built every monument in this land. We made drip, we made swag, we made it hot to be black. And so it, it, is, it is such a popular thing that so many different kids and different cultures want to be a part of. All of this is to say that I have no hope. I'm not hopeful because I have no reason to be hopeful. But I will always be optimistic. I will always want to believe that there is a, a, a will and a way that we can kind of be helped out. But I've got about 400 years of history that would suggest otherwise, and so I'm not really going to go against it. Uh, yeah, and uh, in, in terms of that, that hopefulness, what, what, does, what do you need to see happen from NFL teams in order to you know, solve this problem of you know, respect and being fairly treated? I think it's just give people jobs, right? I think you can kind of um, shimmy around it in any way you want, but I think it's just, it just comes down to jobs and performance, right? I think it goes back to something that I said earlier, that the worst among us and the best among us should be treated with the same equity that the worst among white quarterbacks and the best among white quarterbacks can be. Again, if Nathan Peterman can be one of the worst quarterbacks to ever start a football game consistently and still get a job, like praised by the Grudens in Oakland, I mean, we'll take a little bit of that. You know, I mean, I'll take a little bit of that. Uh, that seems nice. You know, millions of dollars to be trash or something. That seems, look, that's my dream. Like, man, like, ima imagine being benched for Nathan Peterman and your Tyrod Taylor and seeing him, like, throw five interceptions his first game But that's out. what I'm saying, and right? And just like, what the EJ, EJ, EJ Manuel talked about that for a second before he got his new job, the ACC Network, uh, you know, yeah, there, where he was kind of like, hey, man, look at the numbers. <laughs> look at the numbers, you know? This is, this is a, it's egregious, and that's the thing is that, It'd be a little bit different. I think a lot of people kind of talk about this in the ways that people think that racism is subtle at this point, especially when it comes to athletics. It is egregiously loud. And so take Lamar Jackson again. You had an announcer in San Francisco say that he had an advantage because the ball looked like his skin. 
and play and, and players were deceived. Deceived Dan Tran. Come like, on, man. Yeah, what kind of language? <laughs> Come that? on. I, 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 Come when, on. When that when that story broke, I, like I I was reading the headline and I'm like. How you expect me to believe that somebody has an unfair advantage when literally sixty over sixty percent of the league would have that quote unquote advantage? Ain't messed up nobody so far. <laughs> exactly. You know, the, un- like the, un- the unfair advantage is that is that boy got skates in his feet. <laughs> Come on, man. That's that's it. it <laughs> what was that? Was that Tim Ryan? Yeah, shout out, shout out to Tim Ryan for like really showing like big shouts. Big, to, big like, shouts to my guy. Yeah, like the the, the level of. A progress is so obvious when people make statements like that. I right? Mean, don't you, like, wouldn't you agree with that? Like, we have we have people just straight up saying that the color of your skin is the only reason you have a quote unquote advantage in this league. I mean, I wish I wish it worked like that because I mean, you know, I look, I take some of that advantage. I heard, you know, let's put that on the scale. I heard you price that up. I heard, I heard privilege was pretty cool. I, mean, I, I just, I just need the money that come with it. You know, pay my bills, privilege. But <laughs> I, I, th- I think you know to, to be to be kind of you know to be serious for a moment. I think um, you you look at that same thing across our culture, right? It, it would be foolish and naive to believe that this is something that is 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 only intrinsic to football, or only intrinsic to sports and athletics, or the oasis of what we believe athletics are on our Sundays, right? This is in our politics. This is in our culture. This is in our our film. This is in our every single point of intersection across the country and across the world, right? In any area or avenue where whiteness can touch, this is where we find this intersection. So it's, again, everywhere. People said very similar things when Obama became president, that we have made it, that we are post-racial, that we are now egalitarian, that we have have found a way to break the mold. And senators decried him on the House floor. And so – it's very tough for me to believe because, uh, you know, Michelle Obama said this to Tanya Z. Coates in the Atlantic years ago when he profiled her in, in a piece called American Girl, that there are 40 Obamas on every block in Chicago, but sometimes just one gets the chance to live up to the fullness of what they could become. And so there's 40 of me on any block in Philadelphia. There's 40 of Lamar Jackson on any block in Pompano Beach. There's 40 of Deshaun Watson. There's 40 of Patrick Mahomes and so on and so on and so forth. Until 20 of those 40 on every block get the same opportunity as 40 of 40 in every suburb in America, we have not done enough. And even then, they are probably still owed more. You obviously rep North Philly. You're in the studio right now. 215. Yeah, Listen. You, yeah, you're, you're ask in the about me. right now. You're me, wearing, Millie. You're wearing a Simmons jersey <laughs> from uh, the Philadelphia Flyers. You had a black quarterback yourself at one point. Had two of them. Yeah, had three yeah, of them. Yeah, exactly. You got Donovan McNabb. You got Mike Honestly, Vick. I've only known Philly to be good behind one white quarterback, and that's Nick Foles. And so otherwise, <laughs> my experience as an Eagles fan has only come Kevin, from Kevin rooting. Cobb, Kevin Cobb doesn't do anything for I, you. I don't know, sis. But what I will say is, I as, as an Eagles fan, I have particularly only known excellence behind black quarterbacks. Donovan McNabb, even though he might have threw up on a football field during the 2004 Super Bowl, allegedly – was fairly good. Like Donovan McNabb is a fringe Hall of Fame talent. Michael Vick is a Hall of Fame talent, and we got him during his rehabilitation tour. And so, Randall Cunningham is a Hall of Fame talent. And so, I have really only kind of come up, learned the history of it, and then personally experienced Philadelphia and the Eagles through black quarterbacking. And so, I'd say it's pretty dope. I mean, a lot of NFC champion, a lot of a lot of NFC title games we've been to. I'm about it. You know, Rashid Wentz, if he starts playing a little bit more like, you know, the stereotypical black quarterback, maybe we can win some more of these games. Maybe we won't be six and seven. If he, if he was more Rashid Wentz instead of Carson Wentz, maybe, you know, that running game would come alive. That's all I'm saying. You know? Yeah, so we were talking Rashid Wentz, 
I've, I've heard you say Jaheem Allen before. That's that's Bomani's bit, Jaheem Allen. Yeah, Jaheem Allen. Jaheem Allen. We're, we're, yeah. we're, assigning, we're assigning these, uh, these like, kind of little nicknames to these white quarterbacks. Like, All I'm why, saying is... Like, when, when I'm watching the game with you, I always question that. I like, why is he doing that? Like, why, why do you do that? Because if, if, if the, it's funny because the way that we think about black quarterbacks is that they are supposed to be runners. They're supposed to be athletic. They're supposed to put their bodies on the line. They're, na- they're natural athletes, as if that can, like, take away from the idea that they are not born and bred and practiced and through sweat and grit athletes at the same time, yeah, that's, right? that's not coded at all, right? It's, right. And so it's funny to me that when guys, when white quarterbacks kind of do the things that you know, we assign to black quarterbacks stereotypically, they get praised for it, right? Like we love Josh Allen in Buffalo because Josh Allen is beefy and he can run and he, get, he gets up in there. But like, you know, if he was Jaheim Allen, you know, y'all might see some of the passing inaccuracies that, that, that the young man has. I mean, you know, uh, he's pretty trash at what he does for a living. And so it, it, it's just like that. It's just a bit, you yeah. know, it's, you shouldn't have to explain the bit, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it, it's just a funny thing. It's just a funny thing. I mean, you know, but mine does that for Josh Allen and, I I thought it was funny, and Carson Wentz is very much in the same respects. Yeah, and you're talking like even on like sideline demeanor, we we start dissecting people, right? It's like especially black quarterbacks. I feel like we got Cam Newton on the sideline with a towel on his head, and everybody's like, "Oh, he's a bad teammate." But then bad you, teammate. But then you Cam Newton t- don't want to sit in a Super Bowl press conference when the when the Broncos are celebrating after they just beat him down, and he walk away and he's a sore loser. Man, I'm a sore loser too. You beat me up in the biggest game of my life in front of my friends and family. I ain't sitting there asking no questions either. Don't ask me nothing. I want to go home. Yeah, and it's like, but like Tom Brady, he berates his like his players on the sideline. Oh, but but Tommy, Tommy is tough. Tommy is tough. Passionate player. So is Aaron Rodgers. Boy, like boy, like a bowl of clam chowder. I'll tell you something, man. Like I, I just I don't buy into the idea that some people get to be tough and some people get to be hard and some people also don't. Right. We're afraid of these people, right? Like deep down, we are afraid of these people. They're not allowed to be fully human because if they were we we would be out of excuses right we'd be out of goalposts to move now now people would have like things not talking like now we don't have things to talk about other than you know right you know i promise you i promise you i promise you i bring my friends and family to the super bowl after i'd have been one of the best quarterbacks ever in the history of the sport and you beat me down don't ask me nothing don't ask me nothing (laughs) i don't know if i can i don't know if i can cuss on your network but don't ask me nothing I mean, no matter what happens, you can we could just bleep it out. So don't ask me shit. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Uh, in terms of your your Rushmore right now, yeah, black quarterbacks, yeah, Lamar Jackson, Lamar Jackson, Lamar Jackson, Lamar Jackson, Lamar Jackson, because he spits hot fire. (laughs) Um, Nah, man, I I don't know if. I know the history, but on the spy, it's tough. I mean, I, I, it's easier for me to tell you the people who I have most enjoyed watching. Okay, that's that's um, that's that's, a, that's another variation of the question I was probably going to ask anyway. Yeah, I mean, I've never seen anything in football like Lamar Jackson. Literally, um, you grow up in a in a city like Philadelphia, or even if you grow up as he did in Pompano Beach, you know, thirty miles north of Miami, that street ball man, and he's made it look so great. Um, I've ne- again never seen anything like Lamar Jackson. He's only twenty two, so Lamar is up there. Um, I would say Cam even, Newton. Even better than Mike Vick, though. Oh, like, Lamar Jackson's better than Michael Vick. That's not even a, it's not even a question or a conversation. Lamar Jackson. Like, Michael Vick has said since Lamar Jackson was in college that Lamar Jackson was going to be better than Michael Vick. So that's nothing. Cam Newton. 
Um, Cam Newton is literally the pedestal of, of quarterbacking excellence. When you ask for so many different things, one reads, slant routes, he can throw any route on the field, he can read the field, he's six foot five, he's, he runs a four six. I mean, you can't bring him down. He will run through you. And, and just an excellent quarterback when he's healthy. And so that 20, again, I keep going back to that 2015 season, but that 2015 season by Cam Newton, we have never seen anything like that. Um, and Patrick Mahomes continues to be as good as he is, Patrick Mahomes. Um, but I'm going to leave him off for now because he only had the greatest season by a quarterback ever. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, Lamar, Cam, um, Steve McNair. It's unreal. Man, I remember watching Steve McNair when he was with the Titans, and it was, like, such a joy to see. Steve like, McNair was unreal. Yeah, he like he could find anybody on that field. Like, he could read that D, like, really well. Steve McNair was, was – Steve McNair was – one of a kind. Um, He's one of. A, I mean, that, that 1994 season at Alcorn State was arguably the greatest season of a quarterback, one of the greatest individual performances ever in college football history. So, so yes, definitely Steve, definitely Steve McNair. Uh, that's three, right? Mm. Um, hmm. hmm, hmm, hmm. Michael Vick, obviously. I mean, Michael Vick revolutionized what we could see at the quarterback position when it comes to just fun, when it comes to culture. When it comes to all those things. And so, definitely Michael Vick. Um, hmm. You know, I want to put Donovan there, but I don't even respect Donovan that much. Um, <laughs> so, I probably can't do it. Coming from a true Philly fan. <laughs> uh, probably probably, probably Dante, Dante Culpepper. Some combination of Dante Culpepper and Randall Cunningham because Dante Culpepper just had the biggest arm. I mean, him and Randy in, in Minnesota was unbelievable. You know, we talk so much about Randy Moss being what he was, right? Three catches, three touchdowns, 163 yards. Who was getting in the ball, though? Randy. I mean, Who was Dante, was, Dante was getting that man the ball. And so just so many 50-yard bombs, so many. I mean, we talk about how great Deshaun Jackson is at catching the deep ball. Dante Culpepper was that, right? He was Mr. Deep Ball. And so it, it was just you watch those clips, they're just insane. He could escape anything. He had great pocket presence. He could run if he needed to. But he had the cannon, man. He had the cannon. But, yeah. I mean, honorable mention – uh, Donovan, Warren Moon, um, RG three seasons were unbelievable. Oh, that one season. That was, one season was yeah, unbelievable. That one season was like um, electrifying, man. It was crazy. Russ, obviously. Um, I hate Dak Prescott, so not Dak. But yeah, that's that's about <laughs> it. Yeah, man, that's about it. To kind of end it off. Say you're talking for a minute. Talking my ear off, Dan. <sighs> yeah, Trying right. to like, talk yeah, my no, ear off. Yeah, I mean, no, you're talking my ear off. Oh man. That's crazy. Okay, I mean, we we didn't even really tackle Colin Kaepernick yet, and like that's like a big thing. Colin Kaepernick, bring it, bring it up. All right, so Colin Kaepernick, he has a mediocre season by any measure of like you know like his last season. I and mean, we're talking sixteen touchdowns, four interceptions. He actually had a pretty decent like quarterback rating, pretty of ninety. Decent. Pretty decent. Pretty decent. Better than Josh Allen. Better than Josh Allen. Better than a lot of quarterbacks. Better than better than Jacoby Brissett. Uh, Shout out at, to Jacoby. Yeah, like up to like this past year, he had a better quarterback rating than Jacoby Brissett ever had. And yet he can't get a job. And, and I yeah, obviously it's got, it's got nothing to do with how good football he is. No, know? it doesn't. But it definitely has something to do with the things that he is now, like that he's standing up for. Right. And and that vocalness and yeah. that. And, and the black issues that he's bringing up, will there ever be a time when he or any other black quarterback or NFL player just in general will be able to bring up those issues safely? Again, I, I would think, you know, as a student of history, you, you point to the history, right? And um, this was also included in the Best American Sports Writing um, essay that went in there. 
uh, about the Day of Reckoning. That was an SB Nation, my last job. Um, across history, there have been black players who have talked about this. Um, they've not made similar radical stands, obviously, um, to the same extent that he has. Um, but they've had that conversation. Uh, there was a 1963 or 1964 exhibition game between, I think it was the Baltimore Colts at the time and the Pittsburgh Steelers. And at that game, it was in Roanoke, Virginia. Uh, seating was segregated. And black players went to, I think at the time, it might have been Paul Tagliabue, but whoever whoever was the commissioner at the time, they went to him. They ended up the local NAACP chapter, said they were going to sue. And within four days, they had an edict out that said that seating in this game would not be segregated. Players said they wouldn't play. It was a preseason game, an exhibition game. They said they wouldn't play. In one man's autobiography, the running one of the starting running backs, he went into the stadium, he looked into the stands, and it was still the same Jim Crow seating as it had ever been. And, you know, that was just one of many examples where you have black players across history in the NFL making these stands, vocally at least, making these stands. It's not going to ever matter. The commodity of the NFL is the payment, right? It's the money. The church of football is the money, right? Unlike any other sport in America, football is ingrained into our culture. Um, unlike basketball, unlike hockey, unlike baseball, because baseball is boring as hell. Um, it was just some pre-war time crap that we used to have. Who, who watches baseball? Losers watch baseball. Please like my sports. Please come on. Um, <laughs> but, you know, football, every town in America, you're going to find 5, 10, 20 schools playing football. They're going to have a football program. Football programs are never going away. It is the most dangerous gladiator sport that we own in America. And it's the biggest, it's the biggest business in town. We shut down Sundays to watch our football. And so... Anyone who can pop the status quo, who can pop the bubble, the oasis that we think are our Sundays, that we can get away from sport, we can get away from our problems with sports, specifically football. If you are a thorn in the side of order, if you rankle the pockets of the gatekeepers, if the white power structures that are in place cannot operate the same way they always have, you got to go. We got to get you out of here because you're messing up the flow of business. You're messing up somebody's money. And so Colin Kaepernick is a freedom fighter. He's a, he's a nice dude. He's a good guy. And so I, I think for someone like him, you really – he understood what was going to happen. He was very vocal about what was going to happen. But I think the reality about this is that Colin Kaepernick is 32 years old. He could probably still start in the NFL. Who's going to take him? Right? I mean I think this, this, this conversation was much louder a few years ago. The Day of Reckoning was in 2017. Uh, the mass movement of players to protest and, and really vocally care about these issues every Sunday in, in the way that you can't escape is over. The decade is changing. And so Colin Kaepernick is never going to get a job in the NFL. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. But Colin Kaepernick's never going to get another job in the NFL. And I think he's – I mean he's not okay with that, but I think he understands that. I think it is a symptom of what happens when you do something like this. Um, and that's just it. That so that whole tryout that he had, the, the whole it was a sham. Yeah, I mean, that, that, I, you you wrote a piece on we we, that. we broke news in the Ringer dot com. Uh, great website, the Ringer dot com. Great website. You should read that, uh, the Ringer dot com. Uh, we 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 broke news at the Ringer where you know there were people um, all throughout the league, through every mechanism of the league, who basically were like, "Yo, this is a sham. This is a sham." And so, if you believe that was anything other than a sham. I can't help you. I can't help you, doggy. We got dirt on you, doggy. I can't help you. And so it was a sham. In the same way that I think John Carlos and both Tommy Smith got tryouts. I think it was more so 
Uh, I can't remember if it was Carlos Smith. One of them got a tryout in around 1968 for the Bengals. And they actually got a job from the Bengals, but historians mostly like thought it was phony. And so, but afterwards they got a, they got a job from that. It was much later, but it happened. And so these again, none of what the NFL is doing is actually new. It's tried and true, baby boy. It's tried and true. And so, just running through the playbook again. Why change it? It's been working for a long time. Man. That is that is a bit of a disheartening end to it. Is there is there any sort of uh, optimism that like anybody can really look forward to? Um, there's hope. Like give give me some give me a ray of sunshine here. <laughs> Jeez. I, I think I think we often want to find um, some sort of hope, some sort of positivity in the idea behind you know very tragic and tumultuous events. Um, again, I think it's subjective. If you want to find positivity in it, go ahead. Again, I'm still here, man. I'm still here. I'm still doing me. I'm happy every day. And so nothing about what is transpiring in our athletics and our culture in our in our country should be something that should get us excited. But I couldn't tell you what to look forward to. I can only tell you what's happened. And I can only give you my basic and best American truth of what is transpiring. It ain't good, Dan Tran. It ain't good. It ain't good, man. And so, hey, take for it what you will. And still we beat on like boats against the current. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can't stop living, you know. <laughs> can't stop kicking it. Uh, yeah, this is this is very F. Scott Fitzgerald like ending to this podcast. But I mean, shout out, God, shout out my guy F. Scott. You know? <laughs> shout, shout out to F. Scott. You know? Let's see. In terms of, outro... I mean, but I mean, it's Sixers season, baby. So you should be excited about that. <laughs> that you want to be excited about something, Dan Tran? It is Sixers season. It's Sixers season, Dan Tran. Carson Wentz is a coward, and Ben Simmons is. Second comment. Tyler, I got to have you on for a more, you know. A more, it's, it's sixer season, baby. Yeah, yeah, I have to have you on for a lighter podcast because we were talking about some heavy stuff today. Dan Tran, I'm just trying to tell you, man, it's bullying season. Bully your teams. <laughs> Bully your teams in the victories. I'll tell you, the Philadelphia 76ers fan base is bullying our team in the victories. <laughs> we got ski masks and pumps on 23rd and Ridge, and we coming for you, baby. You know what I'm saying? We, we ready for everybody. We the best in the league, best in the world. I'm trying to cut a wrestling promo. What's up? We the best in the league, yeah. best in the world. You you want to you want to cut one up for your Phillies that for this upcoming season? No, nah, the Phillies can do what they want. Uh, <laughs> Flyers are good though. Flyers are good. Flyers good. Okay. Flyers best in the NHL. But it's Sixers season, Dan Tran. I'm trying to tell you, baby, we the best in the world. I'm trying to tell you, dreams and nightmares is coming to the Wells Fargo Center. Gritty, Ask about gritty us. Gritty B places. Gritty B places today. Ooh. <laughs> And on that note, that does it for this podcast. Thanks to Tyler Tynes for joining in the conversation, and thank you for listening. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe to Warming the Bench on iTunes and follow us on Spotify. Also, follow us on Twitter at Tilt Sports and be on the lookout for other projects on the Tilt's YouTube channel. This is Daniel Tran for Warming the Bench signing off.